A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Let's talk about it with Janelle King. So as a result of President Trump's policies, we saw the following things. The unemployment rate reached 3.5 percent, which is the lowest in half a century. More Americans reported being employed than ever before, nearly 160 million. Income rose in every single metro area in the United States for the first time in nearly three decades. Unemployment rates for African-Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans and Native Americans, veterans, individuals with disabilities and those who without a high school diploma all reached record lows. We lifted about seven million people off of food stamps. Due to President Trump's policies, we created more than one point two million manufacturing and construction jobs put in place policies to bring back supply chains from overseas. Black American home ownership increased from 41.7% to 46.4%. The Dow closed above 20,000 for the first time in 2017 and topped 30,000 in 2020. Okay, so I could continue. I could list off, I mean, just at least 50 more things that came out of the Trump administration. At least, at the very least. However, although his policies are 100% amazing, although his policies are something that we have got to talk about at some point. Matter of fact, it's what we always talk about whenever we talk to a, either a Trump supporter. We may hear someone that says, well, I, tr- I support Trump, but I don't really like his personality, but I love his policies. It's almost become a talking point to say his policies were amazing. I don't think Democrats can really attack his policies because they are just so good and they've created so much when it comes to the outcome that has came from it. So anyway, all right, listing off all of his policies, keeping all that in mind, I don't think that's Trump's greatest contribution. That's what we're going to talk about. I don't think his policies have anything to do with his greatest contribution. I think that his policies are awesome, as I stated, but if it was so great and if that was his greatest contribution, I don't think we would have to remind people of them. People will remember it. I find myself having to remind people of all the great things that President Trump did because I think his greatest contribution came somewhere else. So there are people who think that his reign, so to speak, is built into his policies, that the reason why Trump is kind of like the king of the Republican Party right now is simply because of all of his policies. I don't think that's true. I think that he is the king of populism. Before we get going into detail with that, what is populism? So according to the Merriam Dictionary, it's a political approach that strides to appeal to ordinary people who feel that their concerns are disregarded by established elite groups. I don't think we can come up with a better definition, but that is exactly what populism is. So before we give Trump all of the praise, I have to do a sidebar because I believe that part of this discovery, part of this thing that has caused President Trump to be who he is and to be the king of populism I have to give most of that credit to Kellyanne Conway. I love Kellyanne. Love her, hate her, whatever you want to do. I think she's great because Kellyanne Conway kept us focused on a particular subgroup 
when President Trump was running in 2016. Now, keep in mind that this is my limited perspective. I am an onlooker. (laughs) So I'm not saying anything from any type of, you know, behind the scenes, behind the veil. This is simply from what I've witnessed, what I've seen. I have spoken on 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 the stage with President Trump a few times. I've seen a little bit, a tiny bit of the inner workings, but I don't claim to know everything. But I got to give credit to Kelly and Conway because I don't believe we have Trump without Kelly. I honestly don't. I think that what Kelly saw was that there was a forgotten group of voters and that forgotten group of voters were your blue collar rural communities or your poor white communities. These are voters that we have set aside, even on the Republican side. We have turned our backs on these people saying that, you know, you know, just just vote our way. But you don't need to be heard. Your concerns don't matter because you're not a part of these elite groups. Now, what are these elite groups? Minority groups, obviously, you know, the high end type of individuals. I mean, when we think elite, I don't always go towards the side of luxury. I often think about groups that get all the attention. So what Kellyanne was able to do was tell President Trump that even though you're a billionaire, you can still appeal to individuals that are not by any not close to being a millionaire. However, they have been completely, completely forgotten. I think that was remarkable. I think that was the greatest play ever ran in politics. They woke up the sleeping giant. And I think that now we are dealing with this because we brought in everyone. So now everyone has a piece of the pie. So you can't just cater to one particular group anymore. You can't, you know, decide to feed into one one side more than the other. Everyone is demanding equal opportunity at, at this table called politics. And I think that was great. I don't think it gets any better than that. Trump's greatest contribution to the world, to me, was that he maximized the power of populism. And populism, in my opinion, truly placed the power back into the hands of the people. Because prior to that, I think we all got to a point where we were just kind of like enjoying life, you know, going along as long as nothing really deeply impacted us. We didn't really say much. We had our maybe had our critiques of government, but we didn't have a lot of involvement. We didn't talk about it all the time. It was just kind of like, yeah, government's this and we know that they're doing that and they're crazy. But as long as it doesn't directly hit me, I think I'm okay. Populism changed all of that. President Trump and Kellyanne Conway came in and changed the game. We just were not ready. You know, there was a time we had a group of people who was organized, strategic, had a plan, and they were working their plan. And then Trump comes in and pretty much like T-bones the whole entire plan and says, nope, we're going in this direction now. Now, that being said, what do we do with this newfound power, right, as people? Because we always knew that it was supposed to be we the people, but we the people also understood that we weren't a part of this elite subset of individuals who were making laws and, and, and making all the decisions for us. I personally, I don't think we were 100% ready <laughs> for this new power. Um, we, I don't think we had time to really organize, rally together. Um, you know, and I think that some ran towards President Trump's policy, Like, I'm just going to stay focused on his policies and not pay attention to him as a person. I think there are individuals who ran towards him as a person. I mean, I can't tell you the number of people I talked to who was just like, I needed someone who was going to say something that was going to upset everyone. And then there are some people who are both, which I kind of see myself as both. I think that I, you know, kind of agree a little bit with um, his personality. Sometimes I'm like, uh, you know, but (laughs) but I think that's a part of his personality is to love and hate certain parts. But 
on the flip side of that, I'm also a, a, I'm very policy focused too. Like I really enjoy and I really like the way that he was running the country. I felt like he brought business back to the country. I mean, we're a capitalistic society. He brought capitalism back to government. But either way, the power is now ours. It is in our hands. But I think sometimes we struggle to turn from or towards the person. And I think that created a division within this group, the conservative group, because we were struggling because we, were, we, we felt like everyone should be looking one way or everyone should be looking another way. Because, again, before the populism approach came into effect, we were all looking at politics one way. It's pretty much not our way, it's their way, and we just need to like make sure we do the best we can. I think that's where we all were, for the most part. So what President Trump said was, nope, you have a voice, I want to hear it, and I think the world should hear it. And so now we have a lot of voices. We can't deny that. I think some people see loyalty in trusting just Trump and whatever he does and his guidance. I think others feel like, well, no, he opened the door for us to be able to have this power. I'm going to walk through it and I'm going to kind of do things my way. And it doesn't have to be the way Trump likes it. So that's another another challenge that I know we all have to work out. Where do we go from here? It's kind of the big question. It's like now that we have all this newfound power, right, power that was always in our hands, but... I think we were, it was kind of hidden to a certain degree. You know, we, we, we didn't understand that our vote was extremely powerful. I think we looked at it as just something that comes and goes and we, you know, we just do it. Regardless of where you fall. And now I'm going to pull in people who absolutely hate and cannot stand President Trump. No matter where you stand on the spectrum, whether you absolutely love him or absolutely hate him, what is undeniable is that most people were asleep until Trump came on the scene. you got to give him credit for that. You have to. Those who hate him or hate to love him, number one, he keeps them engaged, right? I mean, I, I, I know it because if I look at my comment section on my social media, I am very much so being attacked. <laughs> Anytime I mention his name, somehow it, it leads to some attack. No one can deny that many who were not engaged are engaged today. And if they weren't, they weren't doing it because there was no one to track. So now all these people who hate Trump are the ones who track him the most. It's just unbelievable. I don't think I look up media or things that Trump's doing ever, really. I mean, I'm told it because of people who don't like him. <laughs> Those are the people who message me the most. It's the people who's like, what are you going to do about your, your president now? And I'm just like... How is it that you know all these things about him before I do and you're supposedly hate him? And then you have, like I said, the people who really, really love him. They ride with him. They're going to rock with him regardless. I think we need to understand that. There are people who I call them Trumplicans because these are individuals who were not, um, a lot of them were not Republican prior to President Trump coming on the scene. And as a result, they came in and now they are just deeply connected to him. It's not so much the party, conservatism, or, or the Republican principles. It's more so just, I think he's a good president. We want him back, and I'm going to be dedicated to him. I don't know if these people will ever vote again after President Trump, <laughs> personally. You also have to keep in mind that there's another group, and those are people who I, I, I've talked to lately a lot, who feel like Trump should move on. We have these people, right? That's like, okay, Trump, you did what you, what you had to do. I heard someone put it the best way I think I've ever heard it. Someone said to me, 
I wish he would be a kingmaker and not the king. And I thought that was a great way to put it, right? Listen, again, this is all opinions. But either way, I went home and I thought about that. And I was like, man, that's kind of interesting, right? Because they're not saying that they don't like him or they don't want him. It's just I really want to see him in a different role because I think he'll be better at it. But that was just their perspective. At the end of the day, everything that I'm saying, everything that's coming from this discussion, it can all be backed up and proven <laughs> if you just turn on your news right now. I can guarantee you, no matter what station you're watching, whether it be Fox, Newsmax, CNN, MSNBC, or God knows whatever, no matter what article you're reading, whether it's from Political, The Hill, Washington Post, New York Times, whatever, I can guarantee you the word Trump is going to be there at some point. I have never seen someone utilize marketing the way President Trump has. I don't think he spent nearly as much as any other candidate has ever spent in history when he ran the first time on commercials and ads simply because President Trump knows how to market himself. I think it's a remarkable skill. Going back to whether you love him or hate him, doesn't matter at all. I honestly think that what's so great about President Trump is that he makes you look in the mirror. He makes you come face to face with who you are. It doesn't matter. People have acted out of character. People have fallen into some traps that I don't think they would have fell into if they weren't so emotionally connected to President Trump. We are an emotionally driven country now. At one point, the Republican Party was known as the cold hearted. You know, we didn't love people, we didn't care about poor people. Now, all of a sudden, it has flipped, and we are, we are looking at the Democratic Party, and we see a party of super elites who are running everything. You have the top 1% earners, just income, in this country that are all Democrat, and now, as a result of their vitriol and hate towards President Trump, because what President Trump did, as I stated earlier, was he T-boned their plan— and said, we're going to now put the power back into the hands of the people. We have it. Like, at this point, I've never seen so much marketing to voters that I have seen in these last couple of elections. We are the hot commodity. Our decision matters. There's no vote that doesn't matter. There's not one time where your vote's not going to matter. In 2018, and here in Georgia, Governor Kemp um, beat Stacey Abrams by about 50,000 votes. That is a very, 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 very small margin in the grand scheme of things. When you think about the fact that there's about 10 million people in the, in the state, that is a very small margin. So keeping that in mind, it showed the power of engagement. I don't think we're at a point anymore where we are looking at the candidates or the individual as much as we used to. I think we're starting to look at who has the momentum. At this point, you can be any kind of candidate. But if you feel like you have momentum, that makes you a good candidate. Why? Because the people is driving the decision. And that's where we should be. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Like everything, there are ups and downs to it all. I think that the, the, the negative, so to speak, or the downside of where we are is that we weren't prepared for it. So we don't have a plan of action. We don't really know what direction we really want to go in. 
you have a lot of us who are saying, let's just make sure we focus on capitalism. Let's focus on business and economic issues. Then you have a group of people who are saying, nope, we need to focus on government overreach and that, you know, what's happening here and how the government is just trying to take over our lives. Then you have people that are saying that this doesn't exist. Then we have people who are saying that, you know, nope, we need to focus on social issues because we've ignored it for too long. All of us, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, we all now own a piece of this discussion. And instead of us moving as a unit, my concern is that we are pulling, trying to pull other parts in our direction. And again, this goes for whatever side of the aisle you're on. I am extremely biased. I'm one of those people that believe that capitalism is it. It has been it. It has sustained this country for the beginning of since the beginning of time <laughs> since we since we discovered it um it what i love about capitalism is that it's not it wasn't something that was just you know created by one individual it was created because it was it, it was it was a solution to a problem that's what we should be pushing right solutions so that's just me i'm biased but i'm i'm not so disconnected to where i can't see that we have multiple people at the table We're all sharing our part of the pie, but yet we still don't feel like it's enough. We got to pull more people to our side or more people away from the other side. And that becomes a problem because of human nature. In human nature, we are all animals and we want to win. (laughs) It's just how it is. We want to win. So how do we win? How do we win when we have all this power that's now thrown on the table Everyone kind of like grabbed it as if we were playing a game of Hungry Hungry Hipple. And we all have our part and we're hoarding it and we're holding on to it and we just we refuse to let it go or compromise in any way. What do we do in this moment? Who do we look to? This is also slightly scary because we saw this. Well, some of us not. Well, I don't know. if I don't think I don't know if anyone else has seen it because it was a long time ago as of today. But there are people who have seen it. And yes, there are. There are people who are. Holocaust survivors, God bless them. I think we need to cherish them and have more conversation with those who are still here, who have seen what happens when we all can't figure out how to take our power and use it for good. We all look to an individual. Like, maybe you can come and fix this. Now, I have one example of how it went wrong, and I have one example of how it went right. The wrong is obviously Hitler. That's what goes wrong. When, you, when, you, when you're all trying to pull in different directions, you know that something has to change. I think we all can agree on that, whether you are the person who's rooting for social issues and LGBTQ stuff or if you're the person who's rooting for capitalism and economic stuff. No matter what it is, we all feel like something has to change in our country in order for us to sustain and stay number one. But if you put the wrong person in that position of leadership to so quote-unquote rectify us, it is at a great risk. We got to make sure that we're choosing someone that carries a certain level of integrity and character. If not, you'll end up like what we saw in the war. A positive side of this, and some people may disagree, but hey, it's my show. I'm going to tell you. This is what I think. I think a positive example of this is Ronald Reagan, because Ronald Reagan came in at a time where things were absolutely crazy. 
I think there was an opportunity for him to kind of be that fresh blood, new leadership, to say, this is what we're going to do. My favorite line that came out of Ronald Reagan's uh, campaign was when he said, it's a new day. I mean, that to me registered, it's still registered to this day. We are all looking for that new day. I don't have all the answers, as I always say. I don't have all the answers. I mean, I kind of feel like I do sometimes, but I don't. And so that being said, this is why we need to talk more. Because there's got to be some level of compromise. Now, when I speak of compromise, I don't speak of compromising your values, your morals, your integrity, or anything on that. What I mean is, how do we bring this to the table? A perfect example is that I heard, um, I it was Brian Kilmeade on Fox. He made a statement on The Five that I thought was brilliant. They were talking about the student loan debt, and something that he said was, well, instead of canceling student loan debt, why don't we work on these high interest rates? And I thought that was a, gr- a brilliant idea. I mean, it's brilliant because, number one, it's not saying that I'm ignoring the fact that people are drowning in student loan debt. But the reason why a lot of people are drowning in student loan debt is because they took out these loans and then the interest rate is now at like 20 and 40 percent. It's crazy. So if we reduce interest rates, we're not saying you're not going you still have to pay for your debt. Right. You're still going to have to, like, cover it. It's not, I don't have to pay for it. I shouldn't have to pay for it, right? And I I wouldn't want anyone to pay for my student loan debt, right? So you still got to cover it. However, there is some reprieve because that isn't fair. That isn't right. You know, we shouldn't be charging people at 40% interest rates. That's crazy. How do you ever get from underneath that? It's like you're paying debt for the rest of your life. I thought that was a great compromise. It didn't jeopardize anyone's values. It didn't jepardize anyone's standards or or core, core morals. It was simply a good business move. Another example is I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts now, my new favorite podcast that my friend Tug told me about called The Presidential Briefing. And it's really quick. I love it. But he was talking about student loan debt as well. And he was saying that, you know, if you go to the military, you won't have student loan debt. And in Israel, they're responsible. I mean, I mean, they have to go to go to, to the military. It's, it's just it's everyone serves their country at some point. Now, I'm not saying we have to go that far, but I do think that maybe there's a way to offset this. Right. Maybe there's a way to say, look, we are I think I think the army is at, is at what, 40, 40 percent below their their normal um, recruitment numbers at the time of this recording is around that percentage. So. I'm thinking, well, maybe, just maybe, we can give people an option. Maybe we can say, hey, how about you just take some of your time and dedicate it to your country? And then we can talk about reducing your debt. But giving anyone anything without them having to earn it, work for it, do something, it's just ridiculous. And then comparing it to the PPP loan is even more insane because PPP loans— are, and I know this is such a rabbit trail, but i got to say this, but PPP loans went towards paying people so they wouldn't lose their job. So they still have income coming in during the time of, of the pandemic. Now, the pandemic is something that no one knew was coming. Believe me, we're small business owners. If, if I could have opted out of the pandemic, I would have. I don't think anyone would have accepted it, right? So going to college is a choice that you made. You made the decision that I'm going to go to college, even though I don't have the money to pay for it, and that I'm going to take out these loans, and you sign a document saying that I am going to pay it back. That's a choice. PPP loans came in because 
we were put in a position where we had no choice but to shut down businesses and we still wanted to maintain and take care of our staff. There's nothing wrong with that. That being said, I'm so grateful to President Trump for creating, or or I'm going to say it in a way that is probably more Trump-like, but I'm so I'm so appreciative of President Trump for stirring the pot correctly. It's not comfortable. It does feel a little weird. I know most people are not comfortable with all the power, new power that you have, but I encourage you to see it as that, to see it as President Trump gave you your vote back and gave it back with interest. <laughs> he gave it back saying, hey, your vote is more valuable today than it was before me. And I think that is wonderful. We always had our vote, but I do think that the price of it has gone up because it's so important that you go vote, that you participate in the process, and it's important that you do your research, look at the individuals, every individual, make sure you are selecting people that's going to represent you. So most importantly, let's take advantage of what we are seeing, this power that we have, and let's make it happen. Thank you so much for listening. We've talked about it. Now you go talk about it. You've been listening to Let's Talk About It with Janelle King. Listen each week at thepodcastpark.com or wherever you get your podcasts. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. Is there chaos in your closet? Look, Blouse, you've got some nerve hanging there like that. I can't help it. I'm jammed in here next to this suit. Hey, I'm a three-piece, all right, which means I need a little more room. You've got a lot of attitude for a linen suit. I'm a polyester blend, sweetheart, and there needs to be room for men's clothes, too. Hi, I'm Christina, and in Artisan Custom Closets, we help families organize and simplify their closets with customized storage solutions. See what's possible for your home at artisancustomcloset.com and then call us for a free in-home consultation. 